0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chapter Tactics. This episode is brought to you from a beautiful, but hot, sunny Las Vegas afternoon. I am your host, Mr. Petey Pob, and Chapter Tactics is the 40k podcast that focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I have two co-hosts with me, they are absolutely great, Val and Brandon.
1: Well, it's good to be back, Pablo.
2: The greatest co-host. You've never seen such a co-host. Holy cow, what a co-host.
1: Brandon, and and uh, Grant, everybody. And uh, I'm excited about this topic, Pablo. You want to tell us about it?
0: I am absolutely excited as well, Brandon. So today's topic is going to be all about managing your focus and motivation to succeed at a competitive level. It's going to be really good. The topics we're going to be talking about uh, are things that psychologists like to study uh, when you see greats perform. Uh, Great competitors, whether it's in esports, physical sports or warm or 40k uh these are kind of the intangible things that uh we we can't really measure but we expect athletes to have or successful athletes to have um especially if they want to play at the highest level so these these are things that the goats have uh these are things that you want to constantly be working on to improve and they're also these intangible non-physical attributes that the, 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 you can't really measure them you can't really um you can't you can't it's really more of a mindset right it's not a physical thing that you can see it's not a muscle that you can see constantly grow it's not a physical skill um it is a mental skill so we're going to talk about that we're also going to talk about sports stuff so for those of you who are less sports focused i do apologize however we will do our best to talk about the sports in the broadest of terms and relate them back to warhammer 40k so it's going to be a great topic Brandon and Val are on. Very, very excited to have Brandon on. We're talking T
2: Sports today.
0: We're talking T Sports. T Sports, Esports, and Regular Sports. The full (laughs) sports (laughs) background. Uh, T Sports, Esports, and Meat Sports? Meat Sports. Meat Sports. (laughs) Anyways, we've got Brandon on, the former ITC champion, because, of course, we needed a top level. 40k player i think brandon grant has more tournament wins than val and i have regular 40k wins combined not sure
2: or maybe even tournaments attended who knows
0: i don't know it's (laughs) maybe (laughs) definitely in the last two years
1: well i'm no matt root
0: uh you and matt root are both very very good players speaking of matt root and other 40k players we actually had another guest lined up unfortunately um i know i alluded to a little bit to the patrons Couldn't bring them on. Uh, We just had some cancellations. The nature of this podcast means that sometimes we just don't always get an extra guest for these special episodes. However, we do have Val as well. Val is a sports connoisseur extraordinaire. He is a great storyteller. He knows all of that good stuff that we're going to talk about and can also relate it back to 40k because his 40k knowledge is only bested by Peter the Falcon. There competitive you go.
2: 40k there, there might be a few people in line above that, but maybe not on the show. We'll see.
0: We'll see. All right. Before <laughs> we jump into it, of course, if you want to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. Also, if you want to pick up that cool new GW Luminous box, the Age of Sigmar box that everyone's talking about, head know, over to frontlinegaming.org. We do have extra copies of it. It is a limited release box. So if you're looking for that and you want to pick up some Age of Sigmar... And you're listening to this Warhammer 40k podcast, that's where you go. Also, we have our new 60x44 sizes. Check that out as well. Or you can do what everyone else does and tape your 6x4s. That's perfectly okay, too. Okay, on to the main topics. The two topics today are, of course, we're going to talk about focus and motivation, uh, there are two topics that of course, as I mentioned earlier are, are very, very popular and very very critical, I think in my opinion uh to overall success in competition. uh the first one I talk about uh, focus focus is basically um it's a little bit of a um a misunderstood kind of like uh, what what's that word Val, when when you overuse something overuse a saying you know it's just it's just kind of like cliché. Thank you, a cliche. cliche. Thank you, Brandon. So, it, focus is this very overused cliche that I see used a lot, um, tossed around in, in, like, sports settings and also competitive settings. Things like keep your eye on the ball, two eyes on the prize, um, and it's that's not really what focus is. So, we're going to talk about that, and then we're also going to talk about motivation. Motivation is that... Th- that uh, drive, that directly impacts the level of success that you plan to achieve. It's the difference between two equally skilled opponents, uh, where you might get a game, uh, i.e. Brandon Grant and Alex Harrison, where you have two equally skilled opponents, uh, and one person maybe wants it a little bit more. Or a better example, uh, between Brandon Grant and Mike Snyder, a really friendly competitive rivalry that we have here in 40k, um, that we'll talk about later, uh, where I think, and um, I think personally, one person just uh, had the intangibles to come out ahead multiple times. Um, so, specifically those two topics, it's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get into that, I have a story. I have a story that pertains to uh, Warmer Forty K and also these two topics, and that's Brandon Grant. The story of Brandon Grant and Michael Snyder. So, if you don't know, Brandon Grant has been competing at the highest level forty k for three and a half years? I, I if you don't count this year three years.
1: Um pretty much the time that I came out and had my first win was the twenty sixteen Bay Area Open.
0: Okay, so yeah, so about so about three years then. Um well, four years Bay Area Open was last year, but if you go three and a half years, four years. We'll just say four years. Um Brandon Brandon jumped onto the competitive scene. I remember very clearly when he jumped onto the competitive scene, because at the time Michael Snyder, who was a really good friend of Brandon's, was in the San Diego scene, the San Diego 40k competitive scene. was one of the best players. I remember playing Michael and thinking, this guy's really good. This guy uh, is is on his A-game. He's really smart. He knows how to make these lists. And he was winning with an underpowered army in Necrons. So he was doing well with a kind of underpowered faction. So he brought Brandon onto the scene. Uh, They kind of... uh, you know, went to tournaments. Brandon really got his feet wet. And then the 2017 season hit. And about halfway through the 2017 ITC season, Brandon and Michael discovered a list. They discovered the Bark Star, uh, which was essentially a Dark Angels battle company list and a Wolf Star. And uh, they basically debuted it at the BAO a year later or one year after Brandon uh, kind of came onto the scene. Uh, now, Brandon, so far, is that accurate?
1: That's all accurate, and I was actually able to win the Bay Area Open two years you, running.
0: You were. You were able to win the Bay Area Open two years running with your Bark, uh, the second year being with your Bark Star and uh, Dark Angels listen. And the reason why I bring this up is because that year, the 2017 Las Vegas Open, Brandon Grant made the finals. But something we don't talk about, um, although I've certainly mentioned on this podcast, is that Michael Snyder, uh, Brandon's chief competitor, friendly rival, uh, person who was also running the same list as Brandon. Made, and my uh, best friend. And his best friend came into ninth place at the LBO. He actually tied for ninth and was this close to making it into the top eight. Two years later, 2018, obviously, I think um, Nick Notavati won the ITC Championship that year. Um, I think that was the dawn of eighth edition. I might be incorrect, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Yes. And then 2019 rolled around. Brandon and Michael had uh, two very good ITC seasons again. uh, Relentless D was doing really well. And then, come the LVO rolled around, as you guys all might know, their their infamous (laughs) Castellan list, uh, they were both running mere copies of the same list. And this time Michael Snyder did make the top eight and Brandon Grant won the ITC championship and won the LVO.
1: Michael didn't just get into the top eight. He was the top seed. He
0: was the top seed. He was the number one uh, ranked number one going into the top eight. Now, it's really cool that we have these two instances of 40k history to reflect back on because both times you and Michael performed better than than most people ever do in Warhammer 40k. You both went to, um in 2017, arguably the biggest Warhammer 40k tournament, and then in 2019, clearly the biggest Warhammer 40k tournament, and made the top 10. You made the finals both of those years. Brandon or Michael uh, made the top eight one-year Barely missed out on the top eight the second year. Now, you two play a lot. And I I would never say that one of you is actually better than the other. However, stats-wise, stats don't lie. You've come out on top both times. And so I want to talk about intangible things that you have that, that made it so that you performed better in both of those years than Michael Snyder.
1: Okay, um... One of the things that really helped me when Michael and I actually went head-to-head, for example, is I had been on camera a lot uh, prior to that. So there had been numerous events where I'd been having my game streamed, and even before that game, I'd had people offer, Hey, you're playing Brandon. Would you like to be on stream with him? And people sometimes said, No, no, I've never been (laughs) on stream before. I don't have anything to do with that. Um, and sometimes afterwards they say, wow, that was actually really cool. We should have been on stream. This would have been great. But there's a lot of uh, pressure when you're um, on camera and there's thousands or tens of thousands or however many people watching at home. That's, that's a lot of extra mental pressure on you that you have to get used to. You just have to get over it because you have to remain focused on that, that game happening on the table. So... One of the things that I've done very well or what I've learned is a skill that I have is I can become so focused on one thing that I forget everything else, including things like drinking water and eating or going to the bathroom. Um, So even in the LVO finals, there was starting to be a crowd around the table as the day went on. I did not notice that there was a crowd until they started chanting at one point. But that's another side. But regardless, that was... The one skill that I had more finely honed than Mike because Mike has some serious 40k skills that I don't especially when it comes to um, rules interpretations like literally his job is to work for the government and find all the ways that someone is going to exploit the laws that they've written Mm -hmm. and undo it (laughs) so that the law actually functions the way it's supposed to which I think is great it totally suits his strengths in 40k so he's got some amazing strengths as well But in our game, um, in the finals, um, both of us were so excited to be playing each other, so excited to be on stream. And uh, Mike was super excited because he seized the initiative on me. Both of us knew that whoever went first was going to have an advantage because whoever ran out of infantry first was probably going to lose. Both of us knew this because we practiced so much. And he was so excited to go first that he did his movement phase, he did an advance move for his conscripts that were in the center of the board, and they rolled a six, and he moved them their full 12 inches directly onto the objective in the center of the board. And then halfway through his shooting phase, he realized, oh, shit. Um, I should not have moved those conscripts more than eight inches forward. I just gave Brandon all of my conscripts for free. Oh, no. Um, So even just a small lapse in focus on how am i going to win this game how is this game going and lapsing into great i'm going to be really aggressive i'm going to get him um that can really cost you at the highest levels because both of us knew exactly what the other was doing at all times we both knew what the other person was going to do um it was just that one lapse in focus that really cost mike and we both agreed afterwards. That was the defining point of the game. Everything else afterwards was just this slow grind where I had an advantage after that. But if he'd remain focused, I still think that going first, he had the advantage into that last game. Hmm. And no, Mike's just... list was actually probably better suited than mine for dealing with Alex Harrison. So there was a good chance that Mike could have won the LVO.
0: Brilliant. And so And uh, just to give a little frame segue. of
2: reference here, uh, just, just so everyone out there knows, Mike Snyder uh, last year, still relevant. He was, according to Best Coast Pairings' fancy new website, uh, twenty-seven and 90 percent win percentage, which edges out Mister Grant, eighty-six percent win percentage with forty-five and seven. Yeah, there you go.
1: No, yeah, Mike absolutely. is a fantastic player. Yes, absolutely. And um, I wouldn't be half as good at this game. I wouldn't even be ten percent as good as I am without Mike being. Uh, uh, I'll just call him my muse when it comes to 40k just because he's able to think about this game differently than I am so we feed off of each other and become better as a result
0: so there's I'm so glad that we started with that story because there's so much to take away from just your relationship both of yours and Mike's relationship um, and your history in 40k tournaments and specifically at the LVO but I want to talk about something you segued into beautifully and that's the idea of focus now I'm going to throw a term at you guys that I found online that I think really shows what focus actually is, and that's your intentional field. So, attentional field is everything around you. It's all of your outside factors beating in on your senses, you know, smells, sound, and then also all of your internal factors, the thoughts that you have to manage. Um, that's something like, uh, it, it's... The t- managing your attentional field is what focus really is and it's an, a skill that the absolute best players have. Look at like Brett Favre's, in, uh, Brett Favre's performance when his dad passed away. His attentional field managing that thing must have been something that most people wouldn't be able to do even when they're just like eating their lunch let alone playing one of their biggest games of their careers, right? And Brett Favre was able to take the you know, his teammates constantly, you know, uh, talking to him about it, reminding him about his dad. His dad Death, the crowd, the the pressures of playing a football game, and was able to perform at his absolute best. That's that's the kind of focus and attentional field management that true great players have, and that is something that we should all strive to do, not just in games and in sports, but in life. So Brett Favre is an ex- you-
2: excellent example of the opposite of that as well. He's he's also known as uh, as the guy who threw the big pick late in his career so uh you know he would he would go the other way where he would lose that that focus that edge he would have massive comebacks and they just hand it out they'll just give it away at the last second so like that (laughs) it's uh he was one he is literally eh, probably my favorite quarterback of all times um and and he but but his his style like if you want to talk about like uh like attentional focus you know probably not going to get much better than a peyton manning or a tom brady like mm-hmm. those guys, those are guys who really. What's happening outside of the play in front of them doesn't exist. Uh,
0: absolutely, uh, I, I use the Brett Favre example because to me it's uh, a real tangible example of someone managing their attentional field mm. at. The absolute best they can, and, and you're absolutely right, Val. Uh, it's it's something that even the greats, even Brett Favre, who I think no one can argue isn't a great quarterback, he's certainly a great quarterback. Uh, even he's he the greatest. Troubles. He's not
2: the best. He's
0: not. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, e- even he had troubles managing his own attentional field. Um, but when it mattered the most, he was able to deliver, or w- when it mattered at that time, he was able to yeah. deliver. Um, so when you go into a game of 40k, there are a lot of factors that can affect your game. And there's actually something we talked about in an earlier episode, the episode where we had on Steven box. Um, we talked about the idea of, uh, health, both mm-hmm. physical and mental health, but specifically physical health and how it helps you focus yourself. You know, when you're not hungry, that's something why when you were, you know, in grade school, that's why your teacher said like, eat a brec- eat breakfast before your big test. So you can focus on your test. Um, I wish they had explained it to me in that sense and that, that there is this field of attention that you have to kind of manage your way through it. You're in the cockpit and there's all these different things, all these different factors that you need to push into and prioritize. And you need to prioritize that test and you can't prioritize anything else above that, or you shouldn't if you want to do well. Right. So um, that's something I always wish I was told. And when I found this term, I I thought it just kind of portrayed focus brilliantly. Yeah. so it's also i oh, mean we ahead, also
2: man. people out there would uh probably know it as a flow state hyper focus uh, being in the zone i mean these are real things i think we've all sort of felt it you know at those times where we've been really executing a task it can be mundane can be whatever it can be mowing the lawn where you're just in it and you know everything else melts away and you're just able to do things to the best of your ability and it's uh it's something to try and find your way there
0: Absolutely, and that—that's something that we always kind of—it uh, is a bit of a cliche to say on uh, this podcast and also other kind of uh, sports podcasts and and kind of like a you know you got to you got to, um, you got to uh, uh, practice makes perfect you got to get into a routine to make everything um, ma- machine like and then. Once you get through all that, once you get through repetition, you're able to focus on other things, deeper things in a game. That's yeah. that all goes into play here with intentional focus. Go, go ahead, Val.
2: Well, I was just gonna say something that really stood out to me in that example uh, that that uh, Brandon was giving at at the LVO is that even a guy as well practiced and technical as uh, Mr. Schneider is, um, you know, he did have, you know, he just lost that that focus for a second and allowed an emotional thing to happen, and he made uh, a, a poor you know, a small, poor call. And that's something I do, like in 40K. I've always chalked that up to, like, lack of reps. But really, it's a lot of it is, you know, like what were you saying, that attentional focus, that ability to um, not have emotions come into it. You're able to make correct decisions in real time. Um yeah. Just, so, you know, and I'm sure he's done it thousands Val, of times. And you said a he's very probably...
1: critical word, emotions. Yeah. So if we're going to lose our focus, I think that most of the time we're going to lose it for emotional reasons.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both so good and it, positive and negative. Yeah.
1: If we're going to maintain our focus, what are some of the strategies we can use to keep our emotions under control?
0: That's a really good point. Um, I think I, I think so one thing I do when I play chess is I'm not a I'm not a phenomenal chess player. However, I have come to the terms of the fact that if I want to do well in a chess game online and I don't want to frustrate myself, I need to put myself in a state where my attentional field is something I can manage. Uh, Meaning that I don't play chess when I'm angry. I don't play chess when there's other people who are going to uh, bother me or or, or potentially will communicate with me or interact with me uh, because I'm a very passionate, emotional person. Human interaction to me is more critical than winning and losing. So when I talk to people and when they interact with me, That can sometimes affect everything I do, whether it's driving or playing chess. So um, for me personally, managing my emotions is all about removing the human human interaction aspect of whatever it is that I'm doing. So if I'm playing a game of League of Legends with my buds and I want to win, I put the enemy team on mute. I don't talk to them at all. If I'm playing by myself, everyone goes on mute. No, no human interaction at all because I have to, I have to be Zen, Pablo, no emotion, and I can't let anyone, any human interactions, uh, throw me off my game and cause me to have emotions. It'll cause me to fail. Uh, it's also why I think I'll never be like the best 40k player ever because it's such a social game, and I'm so focused on social cues and managing the emotion of my opponent that I can't distance myself, you know, to like get to the next level. Because, anyways, so that's a that's a me thing, but. That's, um, that's one that's one example of, of that's a good point emotions. pablo
1: because uh, even the late jeff robinson um was such a great player but he would put people off sometimes who weren't used to him because mm-hmm. he would be so intense and he wouldn't socialize very much during a game compared to most people but that was exactly what you're talking about he was able to put the socializing aside and really focus on the game and keep the banter down to the not the minimum necessary to play, but the minimum necessary to remain focused on what he was doing to win.
0: Uh, yeah, Jeff. Jeff was brilliant. I I loved watching him play people in 40k and constantly go back and forth between the the witty banter, the quick aside. Maybe sometimes it was you know at his opponent's expense. Um, particularly if he didn't like his opponent, he definitely made that clear. Oh. Um, but also you know his ability to to talk to his opponent and then also go back into a game and go into this level of focus. Um, I loved watching Jeff play warmer 40k games. And I think that if you take the time to find some of his 40k games online, um, specifically his game against, uh, Jim vessel.
1: Oh yeah. That was a great uh, game to watch.
0: Or the Aaron Alon game and the LVO on Facebook live and video. Those are two phenomenal games. Um, thank you very much for bringing up Jeff, Mike, I was going to do that, but you got it. Um,
2: and one of the interesting things about the Jim Vessel game, too, if I remember correctly, is that the 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 audience thought that the, the two of them didn't like each other and that they were having a bad game. If I remember that correctly, mm-hmm. I might be I might be making that up, but no, uh, you're right. you're uh, right. and and and, uh, and and Jim came out afterwards being like, "What the hell? What are you talking about? It was a great game. <laughs> like we were having a great time." So like, um, yeah, that that can happen. On the point of um, you know maintaining you know focus and not allowing emotions to come into it something I struggle with in all things, I'd like to think, especially when I'm excited about something, you know, I get pretty passionate and that's part of the fun for me is riding those highs and lows. I'm sure it's miserable for my opponents at times, but nonetheless, (laughs) um, you know, when you look at folks who are able to, you know, execute well, either under pressure or in big situations, I think a lot of the reason why is because they're able to um, not be, A, be hung up on an individual outcome, whether that's an expected outcome. Uh, In 40k, that would be I need a dice roll of X, or else I'm screwed. Um, Or um, you know, not react uh, to an outcome that has happened, and that can be a negative one or a positive one. Like I play golf, not as much as I used to, but for me, one of the hardest shots in golf is after I've done something good. So if I've gotten a good drive or something like that, something's happened good for me. So like Mike Snyder getting first turn there, you know, that next shot is actually really hard for me to settle down and actually execute well. And uh, when you get look at a guy like uh, Bill Belichick, uh, who's a coach in the NFL, he talks about something about called uh, situational football is one of his big tenets, and the idea there is no matter what's happening in the game, there are certain uh, markers in, in in American football like down and distance, uh, yardage to the to the goal line. Um, you know, how much time is left on the clock? Are you inside two minutes? And essentially he's got a pretty good, at this point in his coaching career, map of all the different scenarios and situations you can find yourself in in a football game. So he coaches to the situations. So he will have his players prepared for very specific scenarios so that they are ready for that scenario when they they get there. And it's not about how are we in this situation, it's, oh, down in distance is this, I have to do this rather than, oh shit, we're here. Oh my God, I got to do this. It's no, this, you played to the situation and you very famously, you do your job. And I think that's, if you're doing things well, that's kind of what you're focused on. You're focused on what do I have to execute in the in the situation I find myself right now?
1: That's actually even more brilliant than I think you've stated, Bell. They're becoming emotionally prepared for disaster before it happened. yeah So in 40K, you put your army on the table, this beautiful army that you've worked so hard on and your opponent's going to take most of it, if not all of it, off the board, even if you win. So you yeah. have to come to terms with, um, yeah, that 2-plus invulnerable save against a 6-damage weapon. Sometimes uh, you're just going to fail it, and you're not going to be able to pass, even with a reroll in your character that you've worked so long and hard Especially for. Especially if it's an Archon. Is going to get pulled off the table. <laughs> um, we've definitely seen that happen. So <laughs> you really you do want to go ahead and just almost like accept your own death Um, is in the most extreme case. Just be like, everything bad is going to happen to me, and I am accepting that. And during the game, everything that can possibly happen that is bad, I'm going to accept now. I'm going to have terrible dice. Um, All my opponent's dice are going to be great. Um, There's going to be moments that I'm unprepared and surprised. And if you can practice being, what did you call it, Val, with Bill Belichick?
2: That's uh, situational. Uh the um situational football, I think is what yeah, he calls if it. You can,
1: if you can play situational forty K and be like, Oh, I just rolled six ones and just keep yeah. going, that's or, super powerful. Or, like, or I for example, the uh, same, what happens if what the happens the if your finals. Castellan
2: is killed in the first turn, for example.
1: Yeah. In in the same <laughs> finals with um LVO where I won, I got to play Sean Naden, the Sean Naden, Sean Naden, the Jesus of forty K who has gone to, I don't know how many finals at LVO, and won. I got to play him round one in the finals. And my god, um, he really, really knows how to play 40k. So if you were going to be intimidated, that would be the game to be it. But at a certain point in the game, um, he goes first. He actually kills way more of my army than I thought he was. And I throw my Bulgrins forward to slow down his assault. And the Bulgrins, I need to protect them with a psychic spell that goes off on a 6+. plus. And I roll a four and a one. And I'm like, oh, uh, I'll just use my CP reroll, one. And in that moment when I'd failed the spell, I knew for a fact that all of the Bulgrins were dead. And I'm like, "Okay, I need to keep going. All the Bulgrins are dead. (laughs) Let's keep going. So those are the kind of moments where, even now, I'm kind of getting that nervous laugh about it because it's like, oh, great this unit that's the linchpin of my army, they're all dead and I'm playing Sean Naden. What am I going to do? You can't let those emotions take over. So that's what it's so important to, to, to come to terms with. You've already lost the game. You've already lost all your units. Your opponent's going to outplay you. The dice are going to turn against you. All of these terrible, terrible things are going to happen. And you're just going to remain focused on playing as well as you possibly can, even if you're going to lose.
2: There's, um, there's a, uh, actually i remember recommending some of the, this guy's reading list to Brandon, I don't know, a year or two ago. It's a guy named uh, Ryan Holiday. He wrote a book called The Obstacle is the Way. And he's, uh, he's a big proponent of um, stoic philosophy, which isn't as boring as it sounds. Um, but in the, the Obstacle and the Way, essentially it's uh, discussing how success is really uh, grounded in failures or... Uh, obstacles and things like that prevent you from getting through. Nothing, nothing that that is worth doing ever comes easy. And so, finding a way to flip your perspective from "oh, something bad has happened, I'm screwed" to, you know, "this is where I am, what is the right action, and then taking that right action" that's the way you actually get to a to an element of success. And to be able
0: to think like that
2: is really, I think, the foundation of what focus actually is all about.
0: Hmm. Good stuff. Now, uh, we. Well, don't worry, we'll get off focus soon. I know I know. there's a lot to talk about as well. We still have another topic to talk about. But um, one thing we talked about with focus specifically in the attentional field is we focus a lot on internal things, uh, things that, that we can control internally. What are some, this is more a question geared towards you, Brandon, what are some external factors, uh, what are some ways that you manage external factors in your attentional field um, to focus on the tasks at hand because one thing you mentioned that that i wish we had highlighted more was the idea of being on stream and i know a lot of people don't go on stream specifically because uh, they don't want to lose or or they're they're worried that the outside factors will cause them to have a bad experience or lose the game um, which i think is a very valid uh, a, a very valid kind of like um, a fear um, but at this point in Warhammer forty K, we have had enough stream games, and it's been normalized enough so that we have people who who I would even argue play better on stream than they do in you know in person or, or off stream. Um, so, Brandon, how do you manage those external uh, factors in your attentional fields specifically when you're on stream?
1: Um. Well one of the ways is to take it from being an external one and make it an internal one again. So focus on what you can still control about that. And what we were just talking about where you're accepting that all these terrible things are going to happen. um, Same with the stream. Like what, what's the worst that can possibly happen? Oh, you make some terrible mistake on stream and uh, you look like you don't know how to play the game. Um, That's it. Really? Like, Nobody cares who comes in second place. I'll tell you that. Like, nobody cares that I got second place at LVO in 2017. Mm. Uh, that's the year that, um, oh, Matt Root. Didn't at Matt Root beat,
2: at, yeah, lost and won, still won, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Matt Root um, won the whole um, ITC. And um, I'm forgetting his name. It's been so long since I played him. That was the last time. Um, yeah. Brett. Brett, yeah, Brett was the one. Brett Perkins. Won. Uh, LVO. Um, And that game came down to First Blood. Whoever got First Blood was going to win. So, But yeah, I was on stream the whole time. Nobody cares. Um, If you come in second place and you're on stream, or um, people are trying to call you hurtful names, it, it takes a ton of practice, coming from someone who's had to deal with that for a long time, to get over it. But you should practice Um, being able to put other people's emotions on a shelf somewhere and just almost not care what other people think to a certain degree. Like, sure, if it's Mike Snyder telling you this army idea sucks, Brandon, you really should work on it. Okay, that's a valuable opinion. That's someone who knows what they're talking about. But if it's some streamer who says, oh, wow, Brandon has no hair left on the top of his head. What an idiot. Then whatever. Who cares? Move on. Yeah. Which was an actual thing that was happening. Um, So, yeah, even I looked like a fool going on stream, but (laughs) did I care? I had more important things to worry about, and so should you. I really encourage anyone to not be really afraid of what random people on the internet are saying unless, you know, it's something serious like they're stalking you or Mm. anything like that, but if it's just (laughs) offhanded comments, it's it's not really important, and you came here to play 40k competitively clearly and this is your chance to play on stream like i can't tell you like um i don't know lvo this year they decided okay brandon's not going to win the whole thing he's running pure guard so let's just get him on stream game one so that we can say we had him and i played a gentleman from sweden who was gracious enough to go on stream with me and it wasn't a close game I definitely beat him soundly, but afterwards he was like, that was great. All my friends and family back home were watching. And now I have something to talk about when I go home. So that's what you should be thinking about. Even if you lose on a stream game, if, if you can go home and say, yeah, I was on stream, watch me get my ass kicked by Brandon Grant. Then that was a win.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Uh, just to kind of drive the point home and we're going to move on to the next topic. I promise. Um, if you're having still having trouble with that topic specifically, uh, listen to some of the greats talk about uh, their you know key performances. Um, li- listen to Michael Jordan talk about like g- a game winning shot, like just in an interview. Right. In, in my opinion, anytime you get a, the chance to listen to a goat talk about their mental space. In a critical moment in a game, you should just shut your mouth and listen and apply whatever you can, any little knowledge of information that pertains to you in your life, and use it. Because that's someone who has managed their attentional field so much and did it so well that they were able to achieve a level of greatness that most humans won't. So, Yeah, I
2: would say another thing too, just from a, a fundamental, like the uh, the actual physical space of a stream table is a normal table. Like, so the the concept of like this weight of the audience, you know, you don't have the Twitch chat in front of you. You got some cameras and you're at a table. There might be a guy next to the table, taking notes and passing them on to the commentators, but that's pretty much it. So the whole, the the, the pressure of that scenario is really one in your imagination. And I mean, it's, it's cause it's, the finals of the LVR are a little bit different cause you actually do get a physical crowd. There is there is a weight of, of people around. But in a standard stream game you're unaware of the actual audience and really it's a matter of controlling um those you know your imagination and your thoughts about oh what do people think of me um and really if you can get to a point where you just don't even realize the cameras are there like if, if you think of, of of athletes how often do they say or how if i don't know if i've ever heard aside from maybe interference situations in baseball of a, of a professional football, uh, player of any kind talking about the fans having you know uh you know the the weight of the fans or people watching or being on television affecting their performance you know who um, be-
0: does talk about it the casters <laughs> they talk yeah. about it more than the the players do
2: oh yeah yeah well i mean i guess it's a lot more real to them right because yeah. you know they can see the numbers they can see the comments in real time all that kind of stuff the players you know they're playing um and i think that in the you know if you do get to that that flow state or that hyper focused place um, you know, you're really not going to be aware of of anything going on. And honestly, within it, you know, people uh, will talk about you know the first you know in in any contact sport, you know, get that first hit out of the way, um, and then you're just sort of in the game at that point. And I think 40k is very similar. You know, once once you actually you know get through a movement phase, now you're focused on the game, and you know you you could be playing, you know, in the middle of a parking lot, and you wouldn't really know the difference.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I think. I think that's just kind of human nature, is we do already tend to uh, focus on on things when we're competing, Um, you know, just, it it happens, like, it's a funny trope where the the wife or husband is trying to get their significant other uh, to stop playing video games, right, and focus on something else, Um, so, you know, we do all have the capacity for that level of focus, it's just Mm -hmm. about using it to your advantage and to win. Yeah. All right, let's talk about motivation now. So another thing I loved about the Brandon Grant, Michael Snyder, kind of those two rides, um, is the idea that you two motivated each other. So if you look at like two other professionals, um, now I'm not comparing you two, um, but, uh, Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte are a little more decorated than old Brandon Grant and Michael Snyder. Uh, But they had kind of a similar relationship. Uh, You had Ryan Lochte and Michael Phelps, two motivated competitors who were trying to achieve the same goal, Olympic gold. Uh, Michael Phelps came out on top both times. They both didn't really have a rivalry. They were really good friends, but they did constantly push each other to do well. And I I would even argue that without Ryan Lochte, we might not even have uh, Michael Phelps, you know, being the most decorated Olympian of all time. Now, I'm not saying that he he would have done poorly. Um, you know, he, he's still a phenomenally gifted athlete. Um, but I do think, and, and he's come on record at saying this, that Ryan Lochte was a was a factor in helping him maintain the level of competitiveness that he needed to achieve that goal of being the most decorated Olympian of all time, so now I want to talk about motivation. Motivation is your your drive is the factor that you that you have above someone who is equally skilled. Uh, so, you know, if you're both equally physically skilled, you both have the same knowledge. Um, there's at that point very few physical traits that you both have. Um, to set each other apart. So you got to focus on the mental traits. So
1: this episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink
2: knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hpcom Back to
0: Brandon Grant and Michael Snyder. One thing I've always loved, and also uh, another example more recent one would be John Lennon and Richard Ziegler in Warm or 40k specifically. Um, one thing I loved about those relationships uh, is the idea that you had this group of people pushing each other and motivating each other to do well, but from um, a competitive standpoint. right? So going to tournaments and competing, oftentimes competing against each other. So uh, Brandon, could you talk a little bit about uh, what what were some of the things that you and Michael did to keep that level of motivation um, needed to be competitive at a high level?
1: Yeah, it very much is a friendly rivalry where both of us are trying to get one over on the other. And anytime it seems like one person goes on a streak, pretty soon the other person goes on a streak and we have to figure out what the other one is doing. And this this external motivation where you want to be competitive, you want to win, you want to do better than your competitor is intoxicating. And I think for a lot of people, um, it comes very naturally. Um, I don't know if you'd say it's like a built in thing or a nature thing, but it it really does feel very good to get better and improve and, um, beat the competition directly. So that can be a huge positive motivation to get better. Um, is, Oh no, that guy is just a little bit ahead of me. Well, if he can go that fast, why can't I? and um, just push you that little bit farther. Um, Like, I'll give you an example. Um, Michael is the guy who pushes me to be able to move better around the table. Like, he comes up with the most ridiculous movement shenanigans that I've ever seen. Whereas my strengths tend to be more on the almost number crunching side. So almost like spreadsheet 40k. And then you combine these two abilities together, and both of us have gotten better at the other one's strength because we were able to play against each other. So that's a huge bonus. And especially a friendly rivalry like that is amazing because after the game, whoever won, you can both talk it over and figure out what went wrong, what went right, and do better for next time. Um, yeah, absolutely. But on the other hand, um, there's some drawbacks to that. The first one that comes to mind is, um, what happens if you get so good that people aren't really on the same level as you anymore? So you're on the top of the mountain all by yourself. If your only motivation to continue getting better was because someone else was ahead of you and now no one's ahead of you, um, maybe you're going to hit a point of stagnation or, um, basically, um you're going to stop improving because...
0: talking about complacency. Yeah,
1: complacency. And we see this all the time in history where people or countries or cultures get complacent because they've been winning for so long against the competition. They're like, why do I need to get better? I'm already better than everyone else. So there has to be some other kind of motivation there if you want to keep improving. And on top of that, especially in competitive sports, um, there's a huge motivation when it comes to, I need to do better than this other person to cheat or to harm others or um, to just lose things and be unstable. So if we're going to not accept that we, we're not doing as well as the other person this time, um, first of all, if something doesn't go our way, we're more likely to lose emotional control and do something drastic or unsportsmanlike. And second of all, we're more willing to bend the rules in order to win because the whole thing that's motivating us is I need to beat this other person. I need to do better than this other person. So if that's our only motivation, we are in serious danger of unsportsmanlike conduct. So <laughs> on to, to balance that out, we also need to have this internal motivation. This motivation that isn't reliant on anything outside of ourselves. And I can't give that to you. It has to come from you. You have to figure out why it is you want to keep doing it in 40k there's all kinds of other things that can motivate you like um people like the game because it's painting or because you're telling an amazing story or because you're having this banter back and forth with the other player or in my case it's every game is a new way to figure out how i can do as well as i possibly can and win or lose that's my internal motivation is how well can i do in this situation given what's happening. And 40k has a lot of luck elements, so accepting that you know 99 times out of 100, the dice will be fairly close to average, but that one time out of 100, the dice are just going to rain on your parade. You need to accept that. And on top of that, you start, in, in internal motivation, you might even come up with ideas of, okay, um, this is how 40k should be played. I want to create a friendly community where people want to play with me. Um, I want to uh, play as tightly as possible. I want to make fewer mistakes. Um, I want to really know my own rules as well as possible. Or, heck, if you're um, a more fluffy player, it'd be, I want to really know my army's background. Um, I want to name all my squads and write backstories for them. Whatever your internal motivation is, to keep getting better at the game that doesn't rely on anyone else's performance. And if you can cultivate that, yes, you can use other people and rivals to improve yourself because you're motivated to do better because someone else is faster than you and you want to catch up. But then, if you start you know, getting ahead in some ways, you're always going to be able to be best at something if you are at it for long enough. You're going to still be able to keep sharpening that skill because you have this internal motivation that mm. doesn't depend on a competitor or a rival to keep improving. Hmm. S- m-
0: so there's <laughs> Brandon went over a lot here. Uh, yeah. To you, you should. There is a balance here. Uh, there, there is a balance, and there are also, I think, what we learned primarily is that. Um, there are ways to be unmotivated and overly motivated, uh, and you need to find that balance that works best for you and that motivates you to the level that you want to be achieve. Val? If you're looking,
2: if you're looking for um, you know, examples in history of of external motivators being you know the most effective, it's actually a pretty short list. Like usually, you know, an external motivator getting someone to execute a super high level are usually existential threats. So life and death situations, war, that's a pretty good external motivator to get really good at what you got to do. Uh, you know, the allies in the second world war were on the mat in the beginning of it, but you know, pretty good external motivation. You know, the, the, uh, the, <laughs> the end of democracy, you know, got, got the Western world to to get it together and, and eventually win. Um, you know, if you think of uh, in, in, uh, easier going places like, uh, sports you know less life and death situations of the greats you know there are a few that are really externally chip on the shoulder types for the most part they are there are people who are fetishists of perfecting what they are good at and just going out and executing as much as possible that's become very vogue I think in the style of of you know the the goats of the current era but if you look back like recently I don't know if you haven't watched it I think anyone if you're a sports fan or not You should probably watch the Michael Jordan documentary that came out on Netflix. It's fantastic. Oh,
0: the Last Dance. Last Dance. So (laughs) good.
2: Last Dance. And you know, as far as dominant athletes are concerned, and there's lots of reasons why the a lot of the goats came out in the 80s and 90s. um, But I I think a big part of it is is you had you know massive advances in in all of the uh, environmental stuff, the nutrition, the training um you know the professionalization and approach of of lower and lower tiers of competition so that would be the ncaa level of competition ratchets up so you get players coming into the pro leagues at a much higher level that's when you get wayne gretzky um who if you know nothing about hockey you've probably heard his name and know he has 99 in his jersey number so but a guy like michael jordan he he would find a way even though he was the most dominant basketball player of his generation potentially ever um, he would find a way to th- th- make up stories about how someone on the other team thought he was a chump. Uh, you know, and and that would get him to step up another level. But I think ultimately, it was his internal drive to win that that would, you know, get him to those those ultra peaks. But he maybe maybe the the that external thing would be a little spark to give him an extra edge. and um, but for the most part, I think intri- it, it, intrinsic motivations, things that are inside of you that make you want to, you know, succeed at a higher level than other people are much more powerful. And I, the number one thing, another number one example in any of this would be the the impact of money. So if if you look at people who are successful in business, no one needs to be a billionaire. There's a, you know, you make, you know, there's probably a number for everybody, but there's a, there's a certain point where, you know, another X amount of dollars makes literally no impact whatsoever to your quality of life. Right, your your needs are covered. If you were motivated by money, you are going to get to a point where you can no longer, um, you know, execute well because you've satisfied those things. You see it in sports all the time. You get the big contract, and suddenly the performance goes away. Right. Um, whereas if you're motivated by other things, perhaps greatness, your place in history, um, power, positive, or perhaps you know, making a positive impact on the world. Um, being a part of a larger thing, all these other things that can be, um, you know, more, more in more inside you that will drive you forward to do things, um, and, and go beyond what you think you could otherwise do. Those are the powerful things that will motivate you in the small world and in miniatures. I think what Brandon was saying, just nailed it. It's like, what matters to you and like, go out and just do your, just try your hardest at that thing that matters to you.
0: Yeah, I, I think you, you two are absolutely correct. Um, Val, um, External motivators, and and specifically the greats finding motivators, um, is something that uh, I think a a skill a lot of people could probably work on. That's true. Uh,
1: And to to just have this epiphany before it goes away, I think Val's 100% right about the fragile nature of external motivators. So if your primary motivator is to win every game, and then you start losing, you don't want to play anymore. So you don't want these external motivators to be your primary drives, because as soon as the situation changes, your motivation goes away. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, It's it's uh, one one team I like to look at that kind of consistently motivates them year after year. And it's a team that everyone hates in the American football It's the New England Patriots. Uh, one <laughs> thing I hear every year is that they play with like a chip on their shoulder because they don't have even though they have you know, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time and arguably the greatest coach of all time, um, they find the you know, these ways to be like play with chips on their shoulders and be motivated by people either hating them or people underestimating them. And year in and year out, they they perform. They they do well. They make the playoffs every year, they win their division. Um and for you yourself to bring this back to warm or 40K, uh think about external and internal factors that motivate you and not just when it comes to 40k games. Uh one thing I love about this topic in particular is that it, it applies to aspects of the of the hobby um, beyond the game. If you if you want to be a really big painter, uh, maybe you're an Instagram painter or you want to become one, right? So that's your motivation. Your motivation is to create cool and unique miniatures um, to put on Instagram for people to love because you love adoration, which is perfectly fine. That's a perfectly reasonable life goal or, or goal in the hobby. Um, you know, if you're someone who loves the fluff, Brandon brought up a great point, you know, maybe your motivation is simply to know so much about the fluff that you you're able to have these immersive amazing gaming experiences worth warmer 40k you know you're able to have the cool duels between marnius kalgar and the swarm lord and able to craft these unique narratives and have a great time that way there's really no wrong way to enjoy yourself except maybe perhaps to just be unmotivated while you're performing um i think that's arguably you know one of the worst ways to to something is to do yep. it unmotivated whether it's a relationship you <clears> know or or um a game or something like that if you're unmotivated um in my opinion that's that's not really a way to go about doing things so finding your factors that motivate you is very very important um so back to 40k tournaments is there external- a external
2: sorry can i just pop in um i just wanted to yes, tell this an anecdote before i forget um, one thing, there's a book that actually really shaped my perspective on on this topic, which is called Drive by Daniel H. Pink. Um, and essentially, it talks a lot about um, the uh, what Brandon just hit on about extrinsic motivations. And really, because if you think about how our world is organized, it's actually predicated and how even economics is, is worked on as a science. It's it's all this idea of external motivation is why we do things and it, it's why, you know, we're all about the carrot or fear of the stick. And the reality is as people um, in generally, it does come down to those intrinsic things um, that really get people to do anything really. And the three foundations in drive, if I recall, were uh, autonomy, um, so like your ability to make decisions on your own, mastery, so, getting better at something, whatever it may be, and then purpose. So that would be, uh, you know, uh, whether that's, you know, joining in towards a bigger goal or or what have you, or, you know, working towards something larger than yourself. Those three things uh, in that book, they talk about how those all factor in why people do what they do. And in a 40K frame of mind, if you can, if if you even apply those three things to why you play 40K or why you're so into this, you know, really, I think a lot of uh, that, that, that rings really true to me, On a number of levels like if you think of um uh you know autonomy for me it's it's kind of a rebellious thing to play 40k because i do think it's silly it's an irrational thing and it's something i let myself do because it's just something i want to do um but also autonomy is i think if you look at someone like reese robbins he loves playing his weirdo left field lists and you see a lot of good players who like to do this they play stuff that's off meta because they want to have that you know, different look at it. They want to make their own choices and and build their own lists. Uh, Mastery is obvious. There's so many different skills and and things you can master in 40K from the hobby aspect to the game. And then the number one thing, purpose maybe doesn't sound like it fits in, but what's the the number one thing you always hear people talk about once they're super into this is the community and how this is a a thing bigger than any of us and like how there's this wide-reaching thing that you become a part of. So
0: anyway, that's my thing. Uh, Drive
2: by Daniel H. Pink.
0: Uh, I, th- I actually think I'm glad you brought that up Val. Um, it's similar to what I was going to say in that uh, all of those all of those attributes are reasons for why uh, players jump into competitive 40k or listen to competitive 40k podcasts. And it's actually the number one of the reasons why uh, one of the primary reasons why I created this podcast, um, which was for the intent for players of all calibers to just become more competitive. And that's to go back to those three points. Uh, a lot of uh a lot of people who get disenfranchised or dislike 40k um lose their autonomy um you know and that's something that losing your autonomy is just as big of a motivator as as gaining autonomy um mm. and what i mean by losing your autonomy is playing an army uh and losing consistently and feeling forced to play something like space marines um yeah, or that's good point. Yeah, like uh your ability your ability to um, you have been being forced to to run cheese spam units. Yeah, I can't compete. play what I want. Yeah, yeah, it, and that's that's something that's a huge motivation motivational factor in people wanting to be better at the game of 40k. And that's something that motivates people to listen to this podcast or the Art of War or you know um, whatever right whatever podcast 40k podcast motivates you. Um, it's the same thing with the other two as well. Uh, you know, people want to um, what were the other two? It was autonomy uh, and purpose and what was that?
2: Mastery. So just mastery. getting better at skills, uh, yeah.
0: Mastery doesn't necessarily mean like, I'm the best 40k player ever, Um, but mastery to someone might just simply mean, I can play this game Uh, at a competent enough level to be (laughs) able to enjoy the aspect of this game that I like. So if you really, really love painting and you have these cool, critical painted figures that you want to put on the tabletop but you're sick and tired of them always dying Mastery to you might be simply the motivation to be good with your Drezar your gorgeously converted, fully painted Drezar model and putting him on the tabletop or to be good with uh, Ultramarines or or Black Templars right Uh, to the point where you'd feel okay fielding them on the tabletop. You can be proud of your your little Black Templar baby army that you put out on the tabletop, gave it a little kiss spank on the butt and say, you do good buddy, and then have fun. Uh, and then obviously purpose, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, with community. I think community is probably the number one driving motivational purpose for people to continue playing Warmer 40k. Uh, it's This is ultimately a social hobby, a social game, yep. and one thing that always brings people back to tournaments isn't the terrain, it isn't the rules, it isn't the game. It's their buds that they have drinks with after the tournaments. It's the dinners that you have afterwards. It's always what people remember. That's always what people do at these forty k tournaments, and uh, it's primarily one of the motivators I see for people to come back to forty k events. And Is that's probably the... true for non forty k, non competitive forty k as well.
2: Yeah, and the first time i've actually ever seen like non-40k folks people like get that because everyone assumes this to be like there are a lot of jokes when COVID 19 started about how you know we've all been preparing for this for so long you know like we're ready we're ready to stay inside forever um but uh you know something that i think you know friends and family who asked me like oh how's how's your how, how are your minis or whatever and I'm like well nothing's happening, man. We we no. can't play. You know, cuz you we actually have to go see each other and like hang out to play this game. And the, the amount of times I've went I've heard them go, "Oh." You know, <laughs> you know like, <laughs> "Oh, you yeah, I guess that is true. You know, you can't do it anymore." Um and yeah, you need you need that community or else the game just doesn't work.
1: Correct. So, on that note, having motivations that help build that community as opposed to drive people away from it should be a priority for all of us. So, and, I think we had a listener actually post this. He said, How do we balance motivation to win with fair play? So I wanted to touch on that before we actually go to the, the questions.
0: Ooh. Oh, that that's a patron question. Yeah. So actually sorry, Brandon, I didn't mean to I didn't mean to cut you off there, but um let's go ahead and just segue into that. I think I think we can tie a little bow over this episode, you know, put it down, give it a kiss, mwah, put it under the Christmas tree. Um <laughs> this is really good. Are there any last minute thoughts on motivation and focus that either of you have? Yes.
1: This is my final thought. Um, I thought this was a very good question, and I wanted to make this our bow oh. for the episode. So, uh, okay. For example, he says, um, "I notice most top players with games been streamed allow sportsmanship to be a part of their game. So, how do top players? What do top players do to get the right balance?" I'm like, "That's a very good question, and it comes down to your motivations. So, if you want to be a sportsman-like player, you need to have motivations that are conducive to that." so that you're not being emotionally drawn to unsportsmanlike behavior. And the best way to do that is to cultivate a motivation, which is about finding the ultimate challenge. And even, I'll phrase it even more bluntly, your primary motivation is to find one who, someone who will kick your ass and kick it hard, and then to learn from that experience and become better for it. So if your primary motivation is totally okay with you losing, then it's much, much, much easier to be sportsmanlike. And it's much, much, much easier to avoid the temptation to cheat because you've already made your peace with losing. It doesn't have that emotional hold on you. It's not a primary motivation anymore. And as a result, I mean, as long as it's not a life or death thing, you're going to become a much better player over time because you'll play um, a really good player. They will kick your ass. I guarantee it. There's always someone better than you. And afterwards, you'll be like, wow, that was fun how on earth did you destroy me that well and maybe they'll explain it or maybe he'll just know from seeing what they did how you can do better next time
0: mm. so so not to come off as contrarian because I do agree with you um how how does, do you think that relates to someone like Tanya Harding who who took motivation to the utmost extreme the opposite way Uh, Toxic motivation to the point where, you know, she physically harmed someone or or caused the physical harm of someone. That was what Val was
1: talking about. When the primary motivator is money, um, Mm. then you will do incredibly unethical things to get it, and then you'll become unmotivated once you have it. So if your primary (laughs) motivation is a gold medal and nothing else... Then yeah, there's really not much standing in the way of you saying, "Well, I think it's totally okay to hire an assassin to kill off my rival as long as I get that gold." That's the only thing that matters.
2: Yeah, and that's uh, that's literally win at all costs. So like, yeah, be careful how you throw away whack. But um, yeah, the the thing I would say there too is uh, winning or winning and losing are in fact external motivators. They are they are results of what you're doing, right? So they are things ultimately somewhat beyond your control. Um, because you can execute perfectly, have the best game plan, and the other team is just better than you, right? Like, it's just, that happens in 40K, which is interesting that sometimes that's not given enough credit. Um, So uh, I would say that, however, like what Brandon was saying, actually, is he's talking about mastery. So he's talking about um, going out and getting your butt kicked and then and then learning from that and coming back and continuing to hone that skill. If it is a journey about increasing your aptitude at the game, I think that's really the culture shift we've seen in competitive 40K. It stopped being about what do I gotta do to win this tournament? And it, you know, when you start looking at guys like literally Brandon Grant, when you start looking at John Lennon and, and, and Mr. Siegler, Nick Nanavati, they are all about mastery, the technical skill of playing 40k as a game. And so if, if that's what really turns your crank, there is tons of intrinsic motivation that can be found there in learning the core fundamental skills and the advanced stuff, the situational stuff that will get you to win more games than you lose and eventually win big tournaments. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's big, big, big stuff.
0: Yeah. And I'd even, I'd even go further to say Nick Donavati has, has a lot more motivation in, in the community with the art of war, um, to, you know, perform and do well. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I beautiful. I love it. All right. So, um, uh, that's it. That's the end of the episode. We're going to go ahead and jump right into the patron question. So if you're new to the podcast, uh, every week at the end of every episode, we talk. Uh, we open the floor to the patrons who have signed up on patreon.com slash chapter tactics, uh, where they get to ask us questions, and we answer them live on the episode. Uh, the, Brandon, the question that Brandon was alluding to was actually a patron question, and it was a really good question, uh, which is why he decided to put it in at the tail end of the episode and not in this section. All right. So the first patron comes from patron Nathaniel. Um, I'd al- also love to hear how they motivate painting and modeling as well. Oh, that's not a question. Um, we did talk about motivating painting and modeling as well as voting for uh, competitive play because he's bottlenecked at the moment about that. Hopefully, Nathaniel, I hope we uh, helped you out a little bit with your motivation. Um, if I could just hop on that
2: because it sparks, I think. Well, we're getting true. a lot of static. Where's that coming from? Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, the uh, The... Painting is so fascinating because it it is something that when you do get in the groove is so intrinsically motivating. There is such deep satisfaction, meditative quality to it. But for me, it's only ever externally motivated. It's do I have a tournament? What do I need to run this tournament? And so for a lot of people to get to that you know, to get be able to go participate in the thing that they really, really want to do, yeah, they have that external force, and that's probably why you sometimes see some pretty ugly tournament armies because that ex- that external motivation. All you're trying to do is is meet that bar. You're not. You know, it's not something that's you know uh, coming from a point of passion for some people. Right. So you can see and, it playing out right there.
0: And I think that's actually okay. Um, uh, yeah. that's something that you know the ITC or uh, Frontline Gaming realized when Reese, you know, made it. Uh, uh you know a requirement to have your models based and beyond the three color minimum uh, at 40k tournaments um, he basically changed the external motivator realized that yes it was an external motivator that was motivating people to paint their models and then just changed it um, and the motivation mm-hmm. was there clearly because people you know they started painting for models
2: people, people there are enough people desperate enough to play in tournaments that they were willing to eat poop stay up all night, <laughs> do whatever they had to do to get get to that standard, um, because you know they wanted to play in the tournament. That was what their their drive, what their passion mm-hmm. was. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, next question uh, comes from Patron Kelsey. Uh, do you have any tips and tricks to help with the mental side of competitive gaming? Things like breathing techniques to overcome tilt and nerves, doing something unrelated to forty k to deal with burnout, uh, etc. Just any quick tips and tricks to deal with mental mental competitive gaming.
1: I almost feel like that could be an entire episode. Absolutely. It could.
0: I, in fact, it is an entire episode.
1: <laughs> but, um, but, um, I don't have any breathing techniques or meditation that I do personally. I do know of people who do do it. I'd have to do some homework and come back on that. What do you guys think?
0: I, I, I listen think... to music. When I actually, actually want to do well at something, um, and I get serious Pablo time, I remove all those external factors, um, that could affect, um, my attentional field. And then I just, I put on a song that sometimes relates to my emotion. Um, and then I associate that song with, a uh, positive experience. Um, like, uh, usually I have a playlist of songs that I've listened to while watching like professional streamers play that, that I attribute to doing well in a game. And then I play those songs.
2: I think uh, for, for for me, this is actually my number one biggest struggle for any performance um, uh, you know situation. And it, and I guess interestingly, with the exception of when I used to, I used to do live performance, I used to do theater and things like that. And a lot of the stuff that the, the stuff that you do to prepare to go on a stage, for example, would be uh, literally like what you might do before you go on to a field to play a sport. you do warm-ups, you do, You do vocal exercises a lot of it is essentially getting you to breathe um you're going over your lines so what your plan is that kind of stuff whatever you can do to sort of as much as possible settle down and be able to do the things that you want to do usually though at a a 40k event i am fired up i am excited i've listened to some really fast-paced music i'm high-fiving people because i'm so happy to see them um, so I usually am coming in in a very poor emotional place <laughs> to do things well. Um, so that's that's usually you know one of the reasons why I, I will do things like charge everything and lose immediately or deploy poorly or whatever. So what I would suggest to the gentle reader out there to bring this to a point would be think of things in your life where you have been able to focus, where you have sat down or gone out to do a task and done it well. What were the fact what What were the factors that led to you, to be able to focus down and and just just do your do the best that you had and then try and think of ways that you can bring that if you are this serious about it anyway if this is something you really want to commit to how can you how can you replicate that when you're going to a 40k tournament or even just think what are the things that are going to do the opposite effect you know maybe i shouldn't listen to um, some really awesome pump up jams or two chains before I go into the, the tournament hall. That's probably a bad call for me, but I love doing it. So it's it's just a balance there. I think figure out what what it is what it is that got you to a place of focus in the past, and try and apply it to a forty k tournament.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing actually about music um, that that's just kind of an aside, but I found super fascinating um, was I recently uh, hired a coaching service to help me play better at a game I played, and while I was playing it. Uh, I mentioned to the coach that I listen to music while I'm playing and the coach asked me like, well, will send me a playlist, send me a a list of songs that you, that you um, listen to. And at a point in the game, when we were going over my video um, and kind of like looking at me, he was like, Hey, right here, were you listening to this song or this song? And I was like, yeah, actually I was. And he was like, well, whenever I noticed, whenever you play these, these songs, you tend to be a little more aggressive in your plays. Um, And, and I think and I, when I, when i realized it i looked back on it i made the aggressive move and i lost uh and i basically lost yeah. the game because of it and i was like oh shit you're absolutely right um you know i was listening to that song and i was super pumped up but it ultimately you know made me play or made me make a poor decision um so just just a quick aside uh, be be aware of, of those external factors and how they affect your your personality or your mood
2: yeah i would say like for me you like, there's, there's pump-up stuff. That, and again, pump-up is emotional, right? So usually that's going to be counterproductive. I think usually when you're looking for music, for me, when it's performance or Sam working on a pretty grindy report, I can't listen to something that's dissonant or lyric-heavy or something like that. I need something that's very, you know, um, trance-encouraging. I listen to a lot of Daft Punk, for example, uh, a lot of electronica, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of but heavy stuff, so it has a good pace to it. But yeah, you got to find the things that work for you and and that have gotten you to that flow state in the past.
0: Hmm. All right. Uh, next question comes from patron Shannon. Do you guys build your own quick reference sheet or guides? Do you have a basic strategy for each Ooh, mission? Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, for me? Yeah. And that mostly because I, I'm i usually quite on un- my, my games, honestly, my practice are the tournaments I play in for the most part. So I'm usually quite unpracticed. And one of the things that will often knock you out of that 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 focus, obviously, is, oh, shit, can I do that? Or, like, how far does this guy move? So I like to have quick quick sheets. I'll usually have, um, I'll use, you know, I'll take uh, PDF versions of the codecs, and I will take just the data slates that are in my army list, so I have quick reference. I will put, you know, very relevant rules on the backside of a clipboard. You know I do I do things like that just to that's a lot of motivating too from my opponent cuz another thing that brings me out is if I feel like I'm ruining my opponent's experience so I try and do stuff that will help improve my pace and make it so that I at least have answers easy at hand. So 100% I find that that definitely helps me. A practice is probably practice and mastery is probably the the better solution to
1: be yeah, honest. Yeah. If you're going to master playing 40k in a timed environment, you're going to want to know a lot of stuff ahead of time. And yeah, I will make spreadsheets and not bring them to tables, but I'll be like, okay, how many things in my army do I have to attack into this Imperial Knight before I should expect it to die with 90% certainty? And Mm -hmm. once you start doing that math, you'll be like, oh, oh wow, I am not good into Imperial Knights at all. I need to change my list, or so on and so on. So before you even show up to the game, you've already played scenarios in your head. That's in addition to the emotional scenarios of oh, my dice just crapped on me. What am I going to do now? So you're prepared mentally and you're prepared uh, strategically. Yeah.
0: All right. The final patron question comes from Mr. Dan. How do you handle the information overlord that is 40k and the plethora of rules and interactions? Do you specialize in a specific tile style or type of list? Do you try to generalize your knowledge of the game, etc., etc.? Um, I'm gonna a- answer this if you two don't mind. Um, I think th- when it comes to any game, not just 40k, uh, you should really throw yourself into it. I-, I tend to binge a game that I'm into. So, like for instance, the latest uh, binge is a game called Vermintide Two, um, which I have taken to playing on the Honest War Gamer stream with <laughs> Val two weekends in a row, and Mr. Rob, and sometimes Colonel Cabbage, and um, uh, hey, Dave no bray. Game, game, game with Nobray uh but uh i've recently really really thrown myself into that game um and the number one thing you can do when when you pick up a new game is to just binge it uh learn whatever you can watch videos get a feel for who the community leaders are um you know who's doing well who's not doing well um and and just uh once you've kind of binged it, gotten you know out of the honeymoon phase of that game, that's when you start to pick out different aspects of the game that you like, right? So uh, first and foremost, I think the easiest thing to handle, easiest way to handle the information overload of 40k, um, is to just go in and start watching videos of everything and just binge it. But whatever you like. You want to go to the Art of War. You want to go to watch many War Gaming battle reports. You know, uh, tabletop tactics. You want to go read articles. You know, hell, if, if you just want to read top five spiky bits articles on, on you know, whatever. Just binge it. Get immerse yourself in, in the
1: community first.
2: Brandon, you want, you want to hop in there?
1: My strategy is I definitely have a very specific style of list that I prefer to play with and to the exclusion of almost everything else. Um, one of the things you'll notice about all of the lists that I've played is they tend to be high model count, specifically between 100 to 120 models is about where I'm comfortable. Um, and even in the 9th edition list that I'm theory crafting right now, I don't have access to anything, but just thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, 100 models. Oh, I think I can make some good lists. So that just makes it so that the way you play with that style of army is very specific, and even when there's dozens and dozens of rules updates, that doesn't change how you're playing the game. You're always trying to play this specific style. Um, Otherwise, you can always do the um, Nick Nanavati approach and just play all the time and know every aspect and every strategy. But for most of us, that's not viable. So specializing in a style that really suits you even if it's different armies, but the same stu- the same style will definitely help you keep up with all the rules interactions. That and um, consuming 40k podcasts so that you can keep up to date with the latest rules releases so that when the possessed star shows up, you know what to expect.
2: Yeah, I, I would say it depends on, you know, ultimately where where you see yourself fitting into, you know, um, you know where you where you expect your performance to be. You know, the more obviously you know about what other armies and rules interactions can do, um, the the more you're able to see the game. Like we're, we were, you know, we started this off with a, a very high level example of, and I believe Brandon said that the difference between Mike being in the game against him and not being in the game against him was moving a core unit four, you know, four inches too far, you know, and the the reason why guys. Know that or don't know that is because they understand threat ranges. They understand, you know, where the limits are in what their opponent's army can do as well as what their army can do. So at the highest level, you got to know every army, especially the the dominant builds. But the best players will know um, a lot about all aspects of every faction, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. For yourself, for my, for me, like when I when I go to a tournament, generally speaking, I'm shooting to do better than five hundred. I'm always hoping for that miracle run where I just get the perfect matchups all the way through and I'm going to get to that top table, (laughs) come close, but never quite done it. Um, but for me, I, I just like to know about what are the, what are the meta builds, you know, what are the things out there that you're probably going to see, understand, you know, what's good. And I don't really get into the nitty gritty. So the good players who will try and counter that, like build to beat what, what's out there, they're probably going to beat me because I'm playing to, to beat, you know, um, or, or to compete against what's already discovered rather than really innovating into it. So, um, so it just depends on where you are and what your expectations are. But if you want to be the absolute tippy top tier, you probably need a high, high level of literacy of the game.
0: And, and just one quick aside, uh, almost PSA of sorts, um, you know, be, if you are listening to this podcast, I'd hope that you'd be an ambassador to this game. Um, and just keep in mind that even the average 40k player will be able to tell you what most armies are, what most units are, right? Yeah. Without batting an eye. Um, now, obviously, we don't know everything about the game. However, that can appear daunting to someone getting into the game, right? When you're like, when your average 40k player knows what a stern guard veteran is, what a vanguard veteran is, what a jump pack space marine looks like, what's the difference between a meltagun, a plasma gun, and a heavy bolter, right? Like, or or whatever, whatever of whatever X, whatever faction. Um, in general, the average 40k player that I talk to knows. So much more than someone new going into the game that it can be very daunting and intimidating. So uh, you know, keep that in mind if you're talking to new players. Just remember they 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 don't know. They might not know what a brother captain is. They might not know what the hierarchy of the the Necron tombs are. Whatever I don't know. Whatever whatever it is, um, knowledge that might seem obvious to you isn't to someone who's new uh and that barrier of entry can sometimes really really affect someone's ability to play this game so
2: and i just want to like just to bring it back to the topic of this like think about what's motivating you are you coming into crush kill and destroy and you want to like know everything so that you can just win tons or like i would say every like i've i've every now and then put myself in the shoes of someone coming into this and be like holy cow like how could you ever figure it all out or like learn like the amount of forty k in my brain is absurd, and the the thing is though, at no point in the journey have I ever stopped and thought, oh, I gotta go read another codex. It's it's what Pablo was talking about, which is just this this voracious drive to just devour as much crunch and you know lore and and you know anything I could get my hands onto, put my put my ears listened to anything I could watch is consuming it. Like it's just been. The smorgasbord of stuff that I really enjoy. So if that's where you're coming at it from, it's no big deal. You're gonna you're gonna pick it up as you go. You're gonna learn more. There's always more to learn. There's always more. Like you think you've seen every model, and then you see I found some OOP Forge World model for fantasy the other day, and I was like, what the hell is this? It was a land tank. It's a boat with wheels that existed at some point. You know, like there's <laughs> there's just so much that you know you can just dive headfirst in and don't think about it too hard. Do know though that until you reach a certain degree of understanding and mastery of what your opponents are doing, you're gonna you're gonna have some lessons out there. But that's how you learn, right? Mm. So,
0: anyway, yeah, beautiful. Okay, that's our episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to know more about competitive 40k, head on over to the Frontline Gaming Network where we have Chapter Tactics. Uh, uh, this podcast, uh, the art of war, a more focused tactical podcast, focusing on making you a better player interviewing all the top players. You've got signals from the front line. You're by the community... way, that, that's a
2: really good one for that last question, by the way,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> your, your community focused, uh, general podcast with news. Uh, and then of course, 40 K stat center. When the tournaments come back on Val and the Falcon, are going to bring you all of that good tournament news. Um, check that out of course you can also head on over to frontlinegaming.org where we have tactics articles you can actually find every episode of chapter tactics listed on frontlinegaming.org all the way from number 1 back in 7th edition almost 4 years ago to number 164 which is this episode Um, so check that out of course if you want to learn uh, more from Val Val, actually Val and Brandon do either of you have any plugs Uh,
1: not right now
2: um, yeah I've been I've been helping uh, dear friend and 40k crank Rob Simes out on the, the honest war gamer. We hang out usually every Tuesday at uh, noon BST. me and the Falcon will usually hop on so you're hearing this eh, by the time you hear this, both of these things will be over. Uh, but yeah, usually Tuesdays um, that's uh, 7 a.m Eastern. Or, uh, what, 4 a.m. Pacific, so probably not going to be our core audience here. And then, yeah, I've been playing on Sundays uh, on The Honest Wargamer 2, doing a little Vermintide 2 lately. We'll see. Maybe we'll do it another week in a row. Mm,
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, if you have any questions, you can always email me at frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com. And, as always, have a good one. Bye, everyone.
2: Good night.